0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: One song. Okay.
2: As the sun sets on a picturesque beach on Tana, in Vanuatu in the South Pacific, A group of boys are playing in the waves, and women are singing a traditional song, while dinner's roasting on an open fire. Tana is a tiny island that sits to the east of Australia and the north of New Zealand. And here in Tana, the beach is a place for cooking, for fishing, and for ceremony. But it's also the place where boys and young men were kidnapped, tricked, or coerced onto boats, and taken some 2,000 kilometres away to Queensland, to work in the sugarcane fields. The trade began roughly 150 years ago, throughout Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands. It was called Blackbirding. Hello, I'm Iyi Kiyoki Ranta, and this is Earshot. For our Shifting Cultures series, Fiona Pepper travelled to Tanna, one of the islands in Vanuatu most affected by blackbirding, to hear stories of that time, how the community struggles to live with this history, and how now, they're asking questions about what Australia owes them.
3: They love money. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so what are we making on the fire? We, yeah, bananas,
1: bananas, bananas and taro. Mm. That's open fire. Roast. Yeah. No, uh, uh, meat, no anything. Just roast that, uh, roast and. Uh, eat the banana with the coconut, fried coconut.
4: Yeah. Tana's probably best known as a holiday destination. With its volcano and beautiful coastline and sitting on the beach at sunset, it's not hard to see why. It's interesting that we're sitting here eating sugar cane. Mm-hmm. Doing a story about blackbirding. Yeah.
0: In a nutshell, blackbirding is derived from the African slave trade and it is the rounding up of Pacific Island slaves to work in the sugarcane industry in
4: Australia. Amelda Davis is the chairwoman of Australian South Sea Islanders.
0: My personal connection is that my grandfather, my mother's father, was 12 years old when he was coerced out of the water on the beach at Tana. He was with two other friends and they were coerced onto the ship and put into the hold and never returned to Vanuatu, to their families. He was brought to the cane fields of far north Queensland and forced to cut sugar cane.
4: And this was the story for roughly 62,000 Pacific Islanders. Some went willingly, but many, mainly boys or young men, were forcibly taken and put on boats to Queensland. The trade was begun by a New South Wales-based grazier in 1847... 16 years later, the idea to import Pacific labour was picked up further north in Queensland. Legislated as indentured labour, Imelda argues the blackbirding trade was slavery. The
0: definition of slavery is basically about one man's control over another. I mean, you can break it down all you like. The thing is, these people never benefited from their contribution or being brought to this country, yeah? They were severely discriminated against Uh, They lost their families, they lost their money, they lost their lives. Some 15,000 died as a part of this trade. You had people dropping off from flu, diseases that they'd never known in their islands. So I mean, what's a slave trade, you know? It's, it's, It's gross humiliation and neglect. Now,
4: 150 years has passed. No-one has direct lived experience of blackbirding, but the Tunnies seem to have this collective memory of that time. Sitting at the beach, Josephine Gideon remembers 20 years ago when her brother-in-law went missing in the ocean. And through that experience, it became clear the parallels between that and when young Tani's children went missing aboard blackbirding boats.
1: When the other boys came ashore, they waited for him but he wasn't there. They tried to find him, just silently. They couldn't find him. And then they sent the message back to the village. We sat there on the reef, waiting for men to dive, to find him. Even his fishing gears were not there. And that's when I just come to re- imagine the mothers at that time during Black Betty waiting for their kids, waiting for their young sons, waiting for their husbands, and they didn't return.
4: Everywhere I go in Tana, I'm told stories of missing boys and men from the blackbirding period. And like a wound that won't heal, the loss is still being felt. Where would you like to sit? Yeah. This is Jimmy Yos. He tells me that his great-great-grandfather was 16 years old when he was lured onto a blackbirding boat.
5: He was hunting uh, with Bonaro. arrow. He was standing up there at the hill and he when he looked down here, he, there was a boat. And he just ran down to the sea. Then there's a um, person, white person, came and gave him uh, lolly chocolate. He took the lolly and ate it. The taste was so nice, and then the, the person called him that the, he would receive more at the boat. Then when they went, he went to the boat, and yeah, they don't let him out again. They just uh, brought him to Australia.
4: How would his parents have responded?
5: You know, human nature, sometimes if you lose one of your family or, you know, uh, they feel pains, you know, in their hearts, but they can't do anything, you know. Yeah, but, you know, here, many, many people from Tani, you know, not just one person, many. They really damaged the whole custom of the, the one small island of the South Pacific, you know. Yeah.
4: Over 4,000 Tani's were blackbirded to Queensland. Some also went to New South Wales and some to Fiji, a huge portion of the population of that time. I've just arrived at a small village called Ulandan to hear another blackbirding story. This time, it was a young boy who went missing. Big, beautiful bunion trees. So this is the walk that Yasu would have walked to get to the beach. Wow. Do you think about that sometimes when you're walking through here? Yeah, yeah, it's it's our story. Yeah. Yeah. We all know one story. This is Tom Numan, and the disappearance of 12-year-old Yazul is his story.
3: Yazul is the younger brother of uh, Numan. Numan is my my great-great-grandfather.
4: And on that day, some 150 years ago, Naman was preparing a turtle to eat, and that process required salt water.
3: So he sent his younger brother to take him some sea salt water.
4: So Yazul set off for the beach, carrying two water containers made from coconuts. The village is up in the mountains, and it would have taken him about an hour to reach the sea.
3: When he walked down to the sea, when he was getting uh, the sea salt water, white men kidnapped him and took him.
4: A few hours passed, and Numan became worried about his younger brother, so he went to look for him. Tom says it's hard to know exactly what happened, but when Numan reached the beach, he came across some pretty telltale clues.
3: What Numan saw is that he saw this empty container lying on the beach.
4: This was, of course, the water-carrying container made from coconut that Yazul had taken with him.
3: One is breaking on the reef. And the other one is lying down on the beach, and he saw a track of a shoe on the beach, and then he knew somebody has taken Yesul.
4: And it was when Numan saw that shoe print in the sand that he knew his brother had been taken by blackbirders.
3: Because at that time we don't oh. have shoes, we don't have clothes, we only use a traditional clothes like numbers,
4: did he feel bad that he'd sent...?
3: He's uh, coming back home, he, he feels very bad that time. And when he came out to oh, his uh, wife, he told him about his younger brother and uh, the lady was starting to cry. And he says, don't,
4: don't cry. And, uh, Do you think people felt scared to go bo- to the ocean?
3: Yeah, yeah, they felt scared. They felt scared and no man stops his wife not to go down to the sea.
4: And they stay, away from the beach. they
3: stay away from the beach.
4: And then they didn't have Yasul anymore.
3: They didn't have Yasul anymore. No more Yasul. Yasul, the younger brother, is gone. We don't know.
4: And he never came back. He never came back. Because some of the people that were blackbirded did come back, didn't
3: they? No, yeah, some, some some did come back. But Yasul didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yes,
4: it left a, a big scar.
3: Mm. Very big scar. Yeah. We're still looking for Yazoo descendants.
4: Because while Yazul has long since passed away, because he never returned, Tom's family Tom continues to, to wonder if they have family in Australia.
3: I would feel great if more people know about my story.
4: Because that's your story.
3: Yeah, that's my story.
4: As we head back to the car. Tom explains to me that Yazul's disappearance continues to disrupt his family's bloodlines. Yazul was the younger brother to Naman, and it was Yazul's role to have children. But after he went missing, Naman took over that role. Many other Tanese families I spoke to have had their bloodlines disturbed because of Blackbirding. <laughs> The blackbirding trade ended in 1901 with the introduction of the White Australia policy. And with that, the Pacific Labour Act was introduced, which facilitated the mass deportation of South Sea Islanders working in Australia. Some were sent to the wrong island. Some managed to stay in Australia, but many did return home, and one man returned to Tanna with a warning, in the form of a song. I've been invited to Low Teleco, the village of the composer of this song, Noam Tom. So after a long drive up a rough and very steep track, I'm standing in the village's Nakamel, a meeting place with a large clearing under the shade of the biggest bunion tree. There are about 50 people dancing and seeing the song. Men are wearing woven headpieces and the women are in brightly coloured skirts made from pandanus. And they're seeing a song about blackbirding.
6: Let's chair.
4: Oh, yeah. yeah. This is Noam Stephen, and he's just invited me to take a seat on a rickety-looking stool under the um, bunion tree. We're sitting here surrounded by the people of your village.
6: Yeah, of course, of course. This is uh, my people sitting around me.
4: And this is the Nakamel?
6: Yeah, this is the Nakamel.
4: And what's the song about? Is, uh, the song is mainly about how...
6: Uh, the, the, the white men treated our men, our black men, when they, they carried them to sugar cane Plantation and they treated them very badly. And the, the, the song is mainly about that. And the song was composed by my great-grandfather and he, he's my namesake, Noam.
4: Noam. Yes. And when did Noam write that song?
6: The, after they had been back to, to Dana, he wrote a song.
4: So now you have this song that you sing. Yes. How often do you sing this song? Every day. Every day?
6: Yes. They remember our great-great-grandparents, we sang the song. And for your information, when a song is composed for you, it, is, it belongs to you. And the song belongs to Australians. Now I'd understood that the song was
4: about blackbirding but it's only when Stephen reads me an English translation of the lyrics that the true meaning of the song sinks in especially as an Australian Listen to the last verse
6: They recall back to the bad times, bad treatment low wages, small food and water, hard labour foreign language, so they said watch out for Australia and that's the end
4: Watch out for Australia, is that the message of the song?
6: Yes, watch out for Australia, that's the message in the song.
4: Do you think that that message still exists today?
6: Yes, of course.
4: Watch out for Australia.
6: Watch out for Australia. It's a story, yeah. Mm. yes. We just recall back to what our ancestors faced and we...
4: Say watch out. Watch out. With watch out for Australia swimming in my head, I then visit a town which is actively putting that kind of message into practice by taking a stance against Australians and Europeans more broadly. It's the main town of Tuna, Lenakel, otherwise known as Black Man Town. There's a nukamel, a cluster of shops, and a big market which overlooks the wharf. And Black Man Town, the locals tell me, is exactly what the town is in stark contrast to many of the businesses across the rest of Vanuatu that are owned by expats. Here, in Black Man Town, tourists like me are welcome, but the businesses are owned and run exclusively by the people of Vanuatu, the Ni Vanuatu. I'd
3: like to find a place for sitting down.
4: Yeah. This is Pastor Stephen Yamaniko.
3: Black Man Town means... We own all the businesses and uh, we also own this little town. There's no white fella.
4: Is it strange talking to a white fella about that? Uh, no, that's okay. Yeah.
3: Because they know what it's really like. Uh-huh.
4: And this is Yoda Trey, another man from the village.
7: Here we just look around here some shops. No, no white man. This town, a black man town.
4: And it seems Black Man Town is about more than just preserving the local economy.
7: We want the Black Man town and we want our custom to own our custom. We don't want to destroy our custom.
4: I wanted to find out more about the history of Black Man Town, how it started, where the idea came from. So I met up with Samson Namake.
7: Before we started, because we are in the Jets. Yeah. I'll ask you, everyone, to stand up, and I'll over pray. Let's come before God in prayer, let's pray. Heavenly Father. Sitting
4: in a small church while kids play outside, Samson tells me he believes the origins of Black Town began with his grandfather, who was also blackbirded to Queensland. But before we start, we pray. Today.
7: In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
4: Amen. Amen. <coughs>
7: My grandfather was, he worked in the sugarcane plantation until uh, when there was a deportation order given by the Commonwealth to deport all the South Sea Islanders back. So he was one of them.
4: Samson says when his grandfather returned to Tana, he was deeply affected by the treatment he'd received in Australia.
7: He, he was hit in Australia in the treatment of labour and everything.
4: Having had this awful experience, Samson says his grandfather came back to Tana with an idea.
7: Do not allow Europeans to come over and live on the island of Tana.
4: And this is the idea behind Black Man Town. Samson says this concept of his grandfathers was eventually put into action in the 80s. He says he and his father did it together.
7: The town will be occupied by Danish people and the people from Vanuatu only. No European to run the business. So we we can do it with what we want, uh, choice.
4: So now your grandfather has long died, Mm. but Black Man Town still exists. No Europeans can own businesses there. How do you think he would feel knowing that?
7: I'm very glad. And if he's, he's somewhere in heaven or where, looking after me, looking back to me, he will be very glad because I name on behalf of him.
4: But despite this resistance, despite trying to move away from the ramifications of blackbirding, it's always there. It's even in the language the people of Tanna speak to one another. Josephine Gideon again.
1: Bishlama is a um, mixed language, a little bit of uh, mother languages or mother tongues, but a little bit of English and uh, a little bit of French and its all uh, mixed language.
4: Bishlama is Vanuatu's national language, a Creole language formed by Ni Vanuatu in Queensland during the blackbirding trade.:
1: Here on Tana, there are about 80 languages. 80 plus. We don't speak the same language, even on Tana. The sound might be common, but the real languages are not the same.
4: So they were in Queensland and they needed to figure out how to communicate? Uh,
1: they really want to communicate with their mother languages, but the white people won't allow them, so that's why they need to understand the Bish Lama or mixed language because that's where they communicate.
4: And then in the early 1900s, with the mass deportation of Pacific Islanders, the Ni-Vanuatu returned to their islands, bringing with them Bishlama. How do people feel about Bishlama if it is anchored in blackbirding?
1: For me, I, I hate speaking Bishlama with my kids. When I'm angry, I use Bislama. And when I want to say some just lovely words and all this, I want to say it in my mother language. It sounds best to me.
4: And along with Bishlama, another legacy of blackbirding is this fear that people still feel, even today.
1: I can say I was born in 1965 and... While we are on the road, if only we could hear the noise of a truck, we'll run as fast as we can into the bush, even the noise of the boat. We were scared because we heard the story that white people were not good people. It takes a long time.
4: What about the ocean?
1: Uh, The story was that whenever you want to go down the beach, You have to make sure you go with friends. Don't ever go by yourself. That was connected to Black Betty because of the story. That we hear that people were taken from the beach, from the reef, from the ocean. Hello. Hello. I'm Fiona. Fiona, I'm Tom.
4: Hi, Tom. With just a few hours until I'm due to fly out of Tana, I come across Tom. I'd heard a story about a place called Howling Rock, and apparently he can confirm it. Someone told me a story about Howling Rock. Do you know the story?
8: Yeah.
4: Could you show me it? Yeah. Yeah? We walk across the road to a rock pool just beside Black Man Town's main wall. Wow. Crystal. Clear blue water, a, a beautiful rock pool. And the women would come here and look for their children.
8: This Hulling Rock Pool is where they said were skeleton of their children during the time when, which uh, Black Widows were taking uh, our great grandfathers to Australia. This is where we're standing, in Hulling Rock.
4: As Tom says, the women would come to this rock pool to search for the skeletons of their children. And as the name goes, Howling Rock, it was also a place they'd come to grieve.
8: Right here, one for the children, when they brought them away.
4: Is it still a meaningful place for you today?
8: Yep. Yes, beautiful rock pool.
4: A beautiful rock pool with a strong meaning.
8: Strong meaning.
4: Thank you so much for talking to me. I'm glad I found this story. I heard of it. And I, and I didn't know about it, so thank you. Thank you. As I start to pack up my things, Tom says...
8: Can can I ask you a questions?
4: You can ask me some questions.
8: Our great-grandfathers were working like a slave in Australia before 1800s. What about this uh, Australian government still thinking if he can give us something or like compensation of some our great-grandfathers, or nothing.
4: That's why I'm making this program, because a lot of people don't know this history. A lot of Australians don't know this history.
8: The big loss to us in... especially in Montana. So if we can... Uh, Australian government can say something to us just to compensate uh, our fathers,
4: I'll see what I can do. Clearly, I'm slightly floored by Tom's question, although it's been put to me countless times while I've been in Tanna. More officially, in 2013, with the 150th anniversary of blackbirding, the Prime Minister of Vanuatu at the time... Moana Carcass Calacil called for an apology. Calls ...have been made on the Australian and Queensland governments to officially apologise to the descendants of South Sea Islanders who were victims of the blackbirding trade that brought them to Australia to work on plantations. There was a but nothing was done. And now, five years later, after contacting the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, the ABC understands that the Australian government is not actively considering a formal apology of this kind at this time. As I head to the airport, Josephine asks me. Everything okay? Yeah, everything was good. But I feel embarrassed, because everything is not good. Because these people are waiting for an apology, which it seems Australia has no intention of giving.
2: The Forgotten People of Blackbirding was produced by Fiona Pepper. The sound engineer was Kerry Dell. Thank you to Josephine Gideon, Miriam Paulson, and to all the Tanees for generously sharing their stories. I'm Miyuki Ranta. This program was the last in our Shifting Cultures series. Join me again next time for more Earshot. But for now, let's head back to Tana.
1: Basavi country place Long you me home paradise beautiful Vanuatu look back more land and good old beginning long fashion, more living long before future generation long tomorrow some by building good nation Long you me Vanuatu Passavi country, place blown you me. Ombarata is beautiful Boro Vanuatu. You me no masloods and custom. Alchemo traditional Vlong Vanuatu. Custom by building good nation Vlong you me Vanuatu. Gimauenghen.